0: True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode number 33, The San Ysidro McDonald's Massacre. Hey everyone, welcome back to True Crime Works. I'm your host, Ash, and this week's episode is about the San Ysidro. McDonald's Massacre. I actually hadn't heard about this, and that was until I did last week's episode on the University of Texas shooting, and I saw that that was, at the time, the deadliest mass shooting by a lone gunman in the United States until it was surpassed by the San Ysidro's McDonald's Massacre, which is today's topic, and I decided that this would make another interesting podcast. So I decided to do some research and turn it into a podcast. So that's why we are talking about it this week. This was an act of mass murder which occurred at a McDonald's restaurant in San Ysidro, which is a neighborhood of San Diego, California, on July eighteenth, 1984. The man responsible was 41-year-old James Huberty. He would fatally shoot 21 people and wound 19 others before he was shot by a police sniper, 77 minutes after he first opened fire. And at the time, this was the deadliest mass shooting by a lone gunman in the United States, until it was surpassed seven years later. James Oliver Huberty was born in Canton, Ohio on October 11, 1942. His parents were Earl and Eichel Huberty. His mother was a homemaker, and his father was a quality inspector. Both of his parents were very religious, and his family attended the local Methodist church. When James was three years old, he contracted polio, and at the time he had to wear braces on both of his legs. He made progress, but this still affected him, and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. In the year 1950, Earl would purchase a 155-acre farm in Mount Eaton. The mother, Eichel, refused to live in such a remote location, so she would actually abandon the family to perform preaching as a missionary in Arizona. And James would find his mother's abandonment so devastating that his father would often find the boy just sobbing in the family chicken coop. James did not have many friends growing up. He was a pretty sad child. He did, however, have an interest in target practice. And by his teens, he became a somewhat amateur gunsmith. He did limp a lot because of his polio. And his family was very religious. So he would refuse to socialize with his peers. And of course, this made him a target of bullies at his high school. He was an average student and graduated in the year 1960. In the year 1962, he would enroll in Malone College, where he would study sociology. But before that, he decided that this was not what he wanted to do, so he went to study somewhere else after Malone College. He went to the Pittsburgh Institute of Mortuary Science in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He graduated from honors from here in 1964, and he was issued a funeral director's license. And the following year, he was issued an embalmer's license. He would meet his wife at Malone College, and in 1965, he married her. Her name was Etna Markland. Shortly after they got married, Huberty obtained employment at a funeral home in Canton. He was really good at what he did, but he was so introverted that he was not good with dealing with members of the public, which he had to do in his job. So his supervisors didn't really think he was a good fit for this job. But he did work in that profession for two years, and that's before he became a welder in Louisville. And he worked there for two years before he got a better paying job in June 1969. By the mid-1970s, he was earning about $25,000 to $30,000 per year. And in today's money, that would be about one hundred and twenty one dollars to $145,000. It's just crazy how inflation is like that. After he started work for this firm, he moved his wife and himself to a three-story home in a nice section of Ohio. In the winter of 1971, the home was destroyed by a fire. However, they were able to buy another house on the same street, and they also built a six-unit apartment building on the grounds of their first home, where they managed that. And they had two daughters, Zelia and Cassandra, who were born in 1972 and 1974. Now, on the outside, everything seems pretty normal and almost great, but as you know, that's not usually the case in these stories. If it was, it probably would not be a true crime case. So, there was a lot of domestic violence going on in the house. And he would do things like slap or punch his daughters and hold knives to their throats. One time, Etna filed a report with the Department of Family Services saying that her husband had, quote, messed up her jaw. And in the year 1976, Aetna... Reportedly asked her husband to get some counseling, but he refused to get any kind of help like that He was also suffering from anxiety and paranoia and Edna decided to minimize any possibility of agitating him She would actually claim that she could read his future by reading tarot cards and he believed her so this would produce a temporary calming effect And he would actually follow the recommendations that his wife made in these readings. Huberty started to become increasingly paranoid at this time. He began to feel like foreign bankers were manipulating the Federal Reserve System and intentionally bankrupting the United States, which would break down society. He became a survivalist and purchased thousands of dollars worth of non-perishable food and firearms for preparation. In September of 1983, he became involved in a motorcycle accident that left his right arm twitching uncontrollably, and his lingering effects of his childhood polio only aggravated that. So he was forced to resign from his job as a wielder because he could not carry on those duties. After the motorcycle accident, he moved his family to Tijuana, Mexico. But in January 1984, he moved them back to San Ysidro neighborhood of San Diego, California. He became a security guard over there, but he was dismissed from this job two weeks before the massacre happened. Today's episode is brought to you by Amio. Amio is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Amio will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Ameo saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Amio wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head to Ameo.com and use the code Ameo5 at checkout. That's O-M-I-O 5 at checkout. Valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transportation. It's just the pick-me-up 2021 needs. Emil, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. Now, the day before the massacre happened, James Huberty actually called a mental health center, but his call was not returned because the person who took the call misspelled his name and stated that it was not an emergency. July 18th, 1984 seemed like a normal day at first. He would take his family to the San Diego Zoo and then eat at a McDonald's restaurant in the Claremont neighborhood, not the same McDonald's as the massacre. After the family came home, he armed himself with his weapons and left their apartment. The beginning of July 18th, 1984 seemed normal at first. He took his family to the San Diego Zoo Then they went to eat at a McDonald's restaurant in the Claremont neighborhood, not the same McDonald's as the massacre. After he came home, he told his wife, Edna, that he was going to, quote, hunt humans, end quote. And he left. And she did not question this because she just thought this was not something that was seriously going to happen. she did not imagine that he was capable of committing something like this. Witnesses actually saw him walking with his guns in plain sight, and one of them called the police but accidentally gave them the wrong address, so they were not able to stop him. James Huberty walked into the McDonald's in San Ysidro at about 3.40 p.m. that day and ordered everyone inside to lie down. They did, and then he opened fire on them, injuring or killing them. He just started shooting anyone and everyone he could. The scene would last about 77 minutes, and he would kill 21 people and wound 19 more. Among his victims were a family of three slumped over a table, two children lying beside their bicycles, and an eight-month-old girl sprawled on the restaurant floor. At 4.07 p.m., then-patrol officer Miguel Rosario arrived on the scene. He witnessed Huberty walk outside with his gun in his hand, and then he opened fire on the officer's car and shattered the car's windshield. He returned fire and did not know if Huberty had any accomplices or not, so he called for a code 10 to send in SWAT, and then a code 11 to send in everybody. When SWAT arrived, Huberty fled back into the restaurant, and a standoff started. Finally, a sniper named Chuck Foster positioned himself at a post office south of the McDonald's and was able to get a good shot at Huberty, who was near a counter at five sixteen p m Foster fired one shot that pierced through a glass window and hit Huberty in the heart, killing him instantly. as I said before, the entire event lasted seventy seven minutes twenty one people died, nineteen were injured. And a total of 257 bullets were fired by Huberty during the massacre. Investigators started to piece together the details of the crime and what really happened during the last day of Huberty's life. Most of them came to the same theory that Huberty was an angry loner who hated the world and himself. Huberty's wife Aetna said that the day was pretty normal. They went to the zoo, there was nothing going on out of the ordinary, there were no arguments and he was quiet that day. She said that he dismissed his threat of hunting humans, but did say that he tried to kill himself the previous year. The widow of McDonald's founder actually gave $100,000 to launch a fund to aid victims and their families, while McDonald's corporation and its franchisees later added a million dollars to this. The residents of San Ysidro set up an emergency phone network handle offers to babysit, cook meals, and arrange hospital visits for relatives of the wounded. Mental health officials offered free counseling to survivors, and a local funeral home promised free burials. Etna Huberty and her two daughters fled to the home of a friend in San Ysidro. She did speak to the press right after everything happened once and said that Quote, you know what I think, I think this is a bad dream and I'll wake up, end quote. She denied reports that her husband was on drugs, and the coroner's report agreed with that. He also did not have any signs of brain defects. After the massacre, the families of the deceased victims banded together in an attempt to sue the McDonald's Corporation, but their case was appealed. In 1986, Aetna Huberty tried to sue McDonald's, along with Huberty's former employer company, Babcock & Wilcox, for $5 million. The claim that she made was Huberty's homicidal behavior was triggered by a combination of eating McDonald's chicken nuggets, which were filled with monosodium glutamate, and working around highly poisonous metals, specifically lead and cadmium. The lawsuit stated that these factors led to his rage and delusions her lawsuit did not succeed however an autopsy did find high levels of lead and cadmium in huberty's system etna huberty would die from breast cancer at the age of 60 in 2003 in 2015 zelia huberty the daughter of james gave an interview where she talked about everything that happened in her life after that. She was only 12 years old when everything happened that day. She said if she could turn back the clock, she, quote, probably would have killed my father before any of this would have occurred, end quote. She also said that neighborhood kids were the victims. So these were kids from the neighborhood that she actually knew that her father was responsible for killing. She now works as a nurse and she believes that her job helps her put the past behind her and she feels like it's her own sort of therapy and she said she has moved on with her life. She said, quote, you can either dwell on the situation or move forward. If you're stagnant, you can sink into a deep depression. For me, I didn't want to go down that route. I moved forward and proceeded with my life, the normal aspects of life, family, friends, and work, end quote. And I think that's a really healthy way to look at something like this. She said the road to this was not always easy because a lot of people treat her poorly when they first meet her and they learn who she is. But once they get to know her, then they treat her better. I can only imagine how hard this has been on her also. Some of the victims that were there during this tragedy have given interviews throughout the years. In 2014, in 2014, a survivor named Alberto Leos spoke to the Times of San Diego where he recounted his experience. He is now a San Diego police lieutenant in charge of recruiting. At the time, he was 16 years old, and he saw children and mothers shot and killed. He and a few other co-workers hid in the back of the restaurant, but Huberti found them about 20 minutes after the shooting started. He killed his co-workers, and Leos was wounded. And he said, quote, the hardest part for the last 30 years was living with the fact that I couldn't do anything to help them. I was in a position where I didn't have any kind of weapons to defend myself, to help them." End quote. He had five bullet wounds but somehow he managed to crawl downstairs and hide in a closet. He stated the pain was so bad that he had to bite into a cloth so Huberty wouldn't hear him. He had no idea if he was going to live or die, so he just prayed. He said it took him four years to heal physically, mentally, and emotionally, although he does still suffer on occasion. The community and his family helped him get through this. He's been with the San Diego PD for 20 years, and he said, quote, I'm doing the best I can. I think I've come a long way, but I'm not done yet, end quote. That is very inspiring, and it's also amazing that he was able to survive something like that. To this day, no one knows exactly what made James Huberty commit such a terrible crime. Was it mental illness? Or was he just a man who hated society and hated himself? We'll never know. But July 18th, 1984 is a day that many people will never forget. Thank you so much for listening to True Crime Works. I'm your host, Ash, and I really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode. I know I enjoyed making it. If I could ask a favor, if you could please take a moment to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcast from. And if you could, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show out, and it helps others find the show. Thank you so much for your support. I really do appreciate it. Also, if you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can either email me, truecrimeworks at gmail.com, or just send me a message on Instagram and it's at True Crime Works, and be sure to follow me on there also. I check it pretty much every day. Thanks again for listening to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. I look forward to talking to you next week.